Battled back across the straight. Yeah, everything that you could expect to go wrong probably did. Through that trip, everyone got some form of sickness or accidentally got one of the cameramen bit by a snake. But yeah, it all happened. It was pretty fun though. So it was, yeah, another bad idea of mine. I was hoping to paddle it with Jack and Brad. That's Zeb Walsh describing his 15-day channel crossing in a handmade dugout canoe. Just one gnarly story of endurance today on this Ocean Life podcast with me, Josh Peterson. Zeb Walsh grew up in the waters of Southern Australia to become a world-class ocean athlete with a strong focus on long-distance and semi-crazy endurance events. Today, Zeb shares his stories of winning the Molokai 2 Wahoo paddleboard race, paddling with friends across the Bass Strait from Australia to Tasmania, and hand-carving a dugout canoe for a 250-kilometer, two-week paddle across the Torres Strait. Along the way, we share a bunch of laughs while talking foiling, big wave rescue training, getting the Groms out into the wild, and Zeb and me first meeting days before paddling M2O way back in 2011. Now, after you listen to Zeb here, you're going to be fired up to get out in the water. But before you go, decide on one way you will not use plastic today and then follow through on it. It's pretty rad to do. Enjoy. So, Zeb, one day when you were 15 years old, there's a moment when you had a semi-crazy idea to paddle across one of the like heaviest stretches of water around the Bass Strait, man. What was that all about when you were just a grom of 15 looking to paddle like 250 kilometers? That's 150 miles. Like what was going on that day? (laughs) With me, probably, uh, I always came up with bad ideas like that. So (laughs) it was (laughs) was easy. (laughs) That one is popping in my head. No, I guess pretty lucky where I live. There's a lot of crew that sort of do that sort of thing. Like, like endurance athletes and stuff like that. I got like John Jacoby's like one guy that's quite well known down here that he's proper nuts and paddled a heap of like times across Bass Strait, the King Island way, like the same same island route we went. So yeah, there was guys like that and then other crew through him had paddled it and I was like, oh, I reckon you could paddle board it. Like if these guys can paddle it on a ski, like and first off I had these grand plans of like a 20 foot paddle board or something nah. i needed to have to like cover that distance but then um i guess later on as i as i figured out it was like kind of the opposite we kind of went the smaller end and then longer so uh yeah i don't know i'm always full of bad ideas so that one was bound to come <laughs> up <laughs> cool though you had like inspiration as a kid growing up you're 15 you had these older guys who are doing like heavy duty, gnarly ocean crossings, you know, that you were able to look up to, you know? So at the time you're like, Hey, I think we could paddle this. So as a 15 year old, like you must have already been pretty much in full paddle mode. Like what were you doing back then, you know, on the, on the prone board? Yeah. So I guess for like most kids in Australia being like, I think it's like 80 or 90% of our country lives like within two hours of the beach. So like we all live along the coast you know so um everyone does sort of nippers which is like your junior guard i guess over there so i'd always done that and i'd always been pretty handy on the nipper board like paddling wise and i did a bit of everything i was doing like surf comps like and then into the pro juniors and then um i sort of well i never had the backing or the money like family money or anything like that to really chase the junior series and at about 15 i did my bronze and then um yeah just got into i was doing a bit of both but still surfing competitively a lot but then um yeah obviously paddleboarding started to take over and that that here was at that point just paddling like your 10-6 sprint boards yeah. um our races are, are normally a way way shorter than I guess a lot of the races you guys do over there. So um, ours is all sprint based, like four, minute, four and a half minutes is like probably a normal race distance, like 700 meters. And so, um, yeah, I guess I, I got pretty heavy into that sort of after that sort of 15, 16 and sort of, yeah, just that sort of took shape. And um, like I said, I had guys like John Jacoby down here that were at that stage, I I probably didn't even realize half the amount of stuff he was doing, like, and how gnarly it was. Like, he was just some old guy that paddled a ski. And, yeah. Like, that's what we thought. <laughs> and then, like, huh. you know, you started to hear some of the stories. And then now, as I've got older, it's like, like, he's unbelievable. So it was, um, 
we were lucky. We just didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, that's cool. So then, you know, for folks who don't know, you know, and to, t- to kind of stay on the Bass Strait part, which, you yeah. know, is interesting because a lot of folks even, you know, here in California, never heard of it. Um, I only have because I've just talked to you and I've seen some stuff. But, uh, you know, it's basically like Australia, Tasmania, you're paddling in between the two. So, I mean, talk about that. And it's known for just being gnarly, you know, uh, and which makes, you know, yes, it's long, but it's also heavy duty water, you know. So just kind of describe the conditions, you know, and, and really you had two, two choices. Like, let's go straight across straight, the shorter distance or do a different kind of more looping route. And so that's what you guys did. So talk about the format you chose and why. Yeah. So originally I'd sort of looked at it, I guess, doing it in a group and then like everyone was less and less keen, I guess. <laughs> it kind of, uh, there was definitely points where I was just getting told flat out, like it's not doable. Even when we approached Red Bull first off. Yeah. Like, well, first off, I, I talked Jack Bark into it, and thank God he didn't know what it was because he probably wouldn't have been there, <laughs> And then um, and Brad Gall, and um, then we started sort of putting stuff together, and we pitched it to Red Bull, and I think they just laughed and were like, you're not going to make it. Like, we don't we can't put into something that's, like, not going to be done. So we, we sort of had to go it alone. So we, we did um, – we raised a bit of funds ourselves and sort of just backed it ourselves and did it. But, yeah, like, I guess – the paddle-wise, um, Bass Straits probably one of the most notorious gnarly bits of water in in the world. Really, it's um, they have the Sydney to Hobart race where they race from Sydney to Hobart and they go through Bass Strait and they lost a heap of sailors. I think in well, not a heap. There's a fair, a few died in '98. Um, yeah. No, it was a pretty crazy year and it's um I guess we just get all those big low pressure systems coming off Antarctica and push into there and, and Bass Strait actually isn't that deep, even though it's like quite a big like our route's about three hundred Ks, but I don't think it was more than um I don't think it was more than like fifty meters deep sort of the whole way because it's a really? sunken. Yeah. So it used to be like you could walk it. But uh, thousands and thousands of years ago, so it's that kind of adds to why it is so gnarly because um, it doesn't take much. Like it gets so much wind. Like we did our first day, and then we had to sit out two days because there was like hundred plus k winds and oh, dude, blowing straight across the chair. Like we sailed out on the boat one morning to just sort of see if maybe we could run across the bumps and make it there. And, and yeah, we would have missed Deal Island and all the together. So. <laughs> It's a pretty crazy bit of water, and like we caught pretty bad winds the whole time. Our weather guy wasn't great, but uh, we when we got to like we thought we'd sort of probably punch through the hardest parts, and then the last day we hit Banks Strait, we just got absolutely flogged for the whole day. Really, at one point we just we weren't even moving, or we did two hours <laughs> in like an hour or something, like <laughs> flying because we were kind of catching bumps, but it was wind against tide. So the tide was moving at like six knots that we just were catching runners, but we just weren't going anywhere. Wow. <laughs> I can, I bet like Brad and Jack looked at you at that point and they're like, man, why the hell <laughs> did we agree to do this with you? <laughs> I don't know why to be honest. <laughs> but, <laughs> so yeah. then you guys did like how many different legs to get across the straight did you do? Uh, so it was six days. So essentially we'll paddle the Molokai for six days straight. It's yeah. probably the easiest way to break it down for anyone that paddles. Yeah. days a day. I think right. the last, there's maybe one shorter day, like a 40K day. And then the last day we did like, 67 or nearly 70 just to get it done just getting flogged because there was another big front coming so we had to get it done or else we uh, lose everything and have to pull the pin so oh man man so i mean the conditions are hectic windy there's current what were some of the sketchiest moments so was it just kind of a constant like you're just going you're just getting after it the whole time yeah one of those ones where it's like I don't know. Everyone's always like sharks. We're, like you guys deal with way more sharks than we have to. <laughs> I think we got followed by one for maybe five minutes, and that was it. Yeah, cool. And, um, but yeah, the hardest thing I guess is is like you know from any of the long, like Catalina or Molokai, like those that open ocean each day. Like you, there's no paddling along. You're not paddling along the shoreline or anything like that. Like it kind of the biggest challenge is. You've got to make it or else you've got to go back to where you start and do it again. Right. If you settle 49 Ks out of a 51 K like crossing and you don't make it, then you paddle 49 Ks for no reason. You go back <laughs> start again. Day where you, it was that, that was kind of probably the heart. Like is just that your body kind of gets used to getting flogged. I think after maybe three or four days. 
and you just you just do it. Like I had no skin on my knees. Like Jack had the worst rash, like hole carved out under his armpit that you've ever seen. <laughs> it was yeah, just that every day you had to put in a hundred. Like we kind of looked at it at first, like oh we don't have to go flat out like we're doing Molokai. Like we kind of got time, but then after the first day, I sort of realised like the longer we're out there, the longer you're exposed to everything. And it's kind of no easier. You're better off to just punch it as fast as you can, as hard as you can, and just get there and rest and go again the next day. So that tactic kind of changed. If I said we were super organized for that trip, I'd be blatantly lying, I think. <laughs> so it was a bit of a, we just, yeah, threw our hat in the ring and, yeah, got it done. Thank God. Did it. But that's the thing. You did it, man. I mean, that's that's a legendary paddle, you know. There's been somebody else has done it. Is that right? Or you guys did kind of the only crew? Nah, we're the only ones that have made it. Two guys attempted it maybe last year or the year before. Yeah. And, um, and I had a bit of contact with those guys, like Snowy, one of the boys I knew. So um, we were talking a fair bit. They decided to use Unlimited, though, which I was like anti the whole time. Because um, you're just out there for so long and like anyone that I can't even get those things to work hard. <laughs> I'm a stock guy. Yeah. Um, just wrestling with a board that big like for seven hours a day, like yeah. six days straight. It just, I was like, I, I found it was going to be hard straight off the get-go. And they got to the second lot of islands and then, then whether they're just, yeah, you can't. It comes in so quick, and they um, unfortunately yeah, got held up, and then their captain decided to pull the pin, and they had to come back. So we've been the only ones dumb enough to make it the whole way. <laughs> hey man, claim that and keep it. You know that that's killer. <laughs> but then before that, you know, before you did this, you know, back in 2011, I think you and I first met briefly, and that was on uh, at Sunset Beach at Jeff Denholm's house a couple yeah. of days before Molokai to Oahu. That was your first. That was your first year, correct? Doing M2O. Yeah, that was my first year at Molokai. So yeah. Yeah, that was classic for Todd Page's house, I think it was. That's it? right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. That's cool. Yeah. So that little beach we paddled up to too. I always remember that, but I've never been back to that spot. Yeah. It was a sick little spot. Yeah, that was a really cool spot. I love I love that stretch, Sunset Beach and all that. It's so killer right there. So I love it. Like and I've been really lucky, like the last I haven't raced the last couple of years in Molokai, but um staying with Joe and Jack Barr at the Petersons house and Oh we, man every day and it's just so cool that stretch that's perfect yeah it's perfect man and so your first m2o was 2011 and i mean you were already as you mentioned as a kid doing nippers prone paddling like you were in competitive mode m2o is kind of like one of those pinnacles you know uh and then it kind of gave you the bug i think because then you came back repeatedly and then you won the stock class prone in 2013 yeah so yeah that first year i um Came over with two mates, Wes Berg and Dean Brady, and um, they were film. Wes was filming a like doco on it, so that kind of spurred me on to finally get over there. Like I, I used to race for Chugan Surf Club up on the Gold Coast, and Jamie was the lifeguard there, and I was um, pretty much unemployed most of that time. So <laughs> I hung with Jamie at the beach a lot and just surfed, and um, and he used to always tell us stories, and we'd hear stories from me to better and. Aaron Bitman, all those guys that sort of were good clubbies too. So I always had it in the back of my head. I was like, I want to do that because I was I wanted to do iron, but I hated carrying a ski around, and I was wasn't too dedicated to swim training back in those days. <laughs> so <laughs> being a board paddler, it always sort of I always wanted to um, yeah do the Molokai, and especially after hearing Jamie's stories and all that, and Justo and those guys. So yeah, it was 2011 was my my first year over there, and and it's a, I'd race like I guess super competitively for years. I was up north training flat out and racing for the clubs up there. And, and um, it's a it's a fair change up to go from like I was saying earlier. Like we raced like a long yeah. a long race in Australia was like ten k's. So to then switch it up and you're doing like fifty k's. It's it's a bit to get your head around. You think you got your head around it, but dude. I had no idea. <laughs> Nobody does their first uh, first channel crossing in M two O for sure. <laughs> I was like, I'm in there. I can I can win this, and then Eric Abbott smoked me. <laughs> oh, it was a great experience, and yeah, I definitely got the bug, and and just the the whole prone community, like yeah, get to race over there, and you see that side of it, like. I've kind of been called out on it before and um, the, the following year actually when I, I got me and Jack went like down to the line and Jack got me 
and um, I must have been on something and I was like, I was happy but I wanted to win and someone was like, man, like, should be happy with second. And I was like, you're not Australian. <laughs> We're a very competitive bunch over here. So, <laughs> you are. <laughs> so, um, but I, I love, like more and more kind of just fell in love with the, that community that like, yeah, we do want to win but at the same time just, just being there and paddling is, is the best and the friends yeah. you make the people you meet it's like yeah it's amazing so yeah so. no yes for sure that's one thing it's like the the years i think i've done it twice one as a team one solo and the years in between just staying in touch with folks who are doing it and like not so much missing actually suffering going through the channel but missing like being there and just like hanging out having beers talking like just the camaraderie of it like this global prone paddle and of course scp too you know it's just a neat family you know of, of people in the water yeah and that's a thing like uh, even like because the following year in 2013 where i did win molokai and then i was like with the little bit of money win i was like i'm gonna do catalina and um, to enter, you had to have a check. We don't have check. Like, no one, my mum and dad, maybe when I was a kid, paid things with checks. And I was like, how? Like, can I just transfer the money? And they're like, no, we need a check. And he probably didn't admit it, but Slens actually paid that. And I paid him back when I got there. Oh, no way. What a guy. That's the kind of dude Slens is. And, uh, <laughs> and, but that's kind of, too, I think, pretty much how the prone crew work. Like, they're um as much as we want to beat each other it's like everyone sort of looks after each other and yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing so. yeah yeah that's very true so that win in 2013 i mean you got second in 2012 edged out by you know a legend of the sport jack bark yeah. and you came back fired up and got it i mean so how did that feel that that third so that'd be your third year there you know how did it feel to get that win yeah, oh, it was dream come true. But it's one of those things. I don't think I ever really sat back and got to sort of think about it in a in a way. Like um, the year before, like it was so close with me and Jack. And it, yeah, like that last bit just went all Jack's fault. <laughs> I just watched him get further ahead. And then, um, but then, yeah, the next year I was definitely super psyched to like try and win and um, train super hard and change a few things. But then two, um, probably conditions for me being a little bit bigger than Jack. And that's real, that year was kind of pretty cross-shore, like probably worked in my favor a little bit more where straight down win, that big lanky yep. bloke, you can't beat him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it was awesome because we had so many good battles and, and that sort of thing that that 2013, like I was absolutely over the moon to win and, and, um, then to go and win Catalina too, and then it went straight into getting ready for Bass Strait. So I never really back and really got to think a whole lot about it. It was kind of then the next goal, next goal, next goal. It just sort of rolled on. But yeah, I'd probably save it a bit more than I did. So. Yeah, yeah, man, that's cool though. And then another win at Catalina. I mean, those are two legendary. Those are the two legendary events of the sport, you know. And so I mean, congrats for that. So then how many years total did you do M2O? You said last couple you took off. Um, so like four or five total, six? I think it was five or six. Yeah. So, definitely five. So of all of those, you know, it's like you learn, you never master that channel. And nobody will say they did. But, you know, you learn a lot about the logistics and your hydration and just lo- reading the water and your line and all that stuff. But for you, you know, there's kind of two main pieces to that event or any endurance sport. There's the mental and the physical, you know. For you, what was your challenge? challenging sort of a piece or a part of, of that event was it like the mental part or the physical or was it maybe a half and half early on definitely mental i like dreaded that like the first year like I, or maybe second year i remember having a nightmare of being like on the start line for molokai and the gun went and we started swimming and i was just like <laughs> oh man across this channel and that was oh, like but it's that Paddling out and not knowing where you're going, like definitely in the first few years that like for me, like I knew I did the work leading into it and then, but it's that like how will I mentally manage like not seeing land and paddling out towards nothing. And then I think it's like you said, it's a bit of but like definitely towards the end, if you can put your head down and grind, like once you bury Rabbit Island and you know, it's like five miles to the finish, like that's really where the race starts and like the guys that are going to win are really good through there and I've, I feel I've had mixed success through that part of the race. It's it's where it gets so tricky where like you start to get that reverb and the backwash of oh, yeah. like 
flock and it's like, do you go south into the deep water or do you stay on the shelf and hopefully get sucked around? And I don't know, every year you seem to, I always run a super straight line and try to like paddle as least as I have to sort of thing. But that I just feel is that area you could just get tripped up. Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's so hard to really pick the eyes out of that thing. Yeah, it is. And then you can kind of obsess about the different tactics and options beforehand too, you know, like, oh, we're going to come in from the south. Oh, it's going to be, you know, a few degrees to the, whatever it is. And that, versus just like, look, just go straight at the point and just keep fucking paddling. That was, that was my, my thing every year. I was like, just dead straight, straight run line, straight at the point, and then just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's the best tactic. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, if you're really punting to go up and try and come down with the tides or anything like that, you're kind of rolling the dice. Mm. And it's, 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 you probably haven't done the work if that's, if that's your game plan, I yeah. think. If you're kind of clutching at straws. But that, and for me, like, getting on top of my hydration and food was, was I've always struggled, like, racing, like, surf life-saving stuff. I'd wouldn't eat properly through the day so for me it was a big big learning curve having to eat as you're going and then um and with hydration in the end for me i found i did get told one time that uh roughly you're meant to have like a mouthful of water every seven minutes and you can Mm. stay hydrated so i just started drinking off my watch like every kilometer like vibrate i'd just have a mouthful and that was one way that i could stay on top of drinking I'd, like I said, I'd just get competitive and I'd just forget everything. And I did that the first year and I almost bonked and I was just like bump drunk and it was horrible. <laughs> I never yeah. won again. <laughs> I know that can really take you downhill fast when you're not watching that hydration and the food part, you know, on the nutrition. It's, it's super key. And that's like one of the learning curves of endurance sports in general. And like you said, like you, you grew up racing like sprint races you don't have to worry about water bottles and what you have in them and then switching to protein versus the you know the electrolytes and all that stuff it's like there's a, such a learning curve to that you know it's uh it's challenging crazy and i found in the i always try to keep it as simple as possible like what i can get here versus what i can get in hawaii or even california it's always it's always different so i've never really been too gnarly on like having exact things or exact diets or anything like that like it was like i'd have gels and i found up the first few times of trying to just have gels for the whole time like it made you feel sick so <laughs> yeah i'd like gels and baby foods because i could squeeze them in real quick and and your body kind of breaks them down pretty easy mm-hmm. so it's not some high-tech kind of thing I was with. it was like baby food and a gel and then just switch out one bottle of water one bottle of like um uh, like I don't know, electrolytes or something mm. like that. So I know like Gawley, he gets right into it and it was always over the over my <laughs> <laughs> So Zeb, what do you think, man? You got another another one in you, another M2O in the future sometime? Oh, I'd love to say yes. I don't. I, at this stage, I'm kind of so under the pump with everything. I don't think I could train to the standard I'd, I'd want to. Um, but I, I want to go back and do a team. I never got to do the team thing and I'm like, kind of spewing on that so i don't know if i'll maybe just do a team with one of the boys or um if i'll maybe wait till they'll let me enter with my kids and and do it with them it'd be pretty rad i think yeah yeah that'd be cool i'm i'm trying to spark that too my 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 son he's 17 he's kind of denied me that 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 dream my daughters are 13 and i I, they're still young and impressionable enough where i might be able to sneak them over and without them knowing hey they're on a boat doing the doing the race with me so i have the same thing i think that'd be so sick to do is do do a relay with your kids yeah well i've got my daughter's keen out she's nine she's like wants to do it now oh son though he's six so he's kind of like (laughs) 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 yeah that's cool man that's so cool so tied to all this paddling you know prone paddling you know you've also completed you know other insane long distance paddling but this time in a handmade dugout canoe with other dudes you know back to your original like you have some funky some crazy ideas and this is definitely one of those and again it was choosing a a gnarly stretch of water the torres strait and i'd love to hear you tell us about it but first you know where is that the torres strait because like bass strait is more known and the torres strait for me i was like where i had no idea so again talk about that water and then what you guys set out to do yeah so torres strait is just exact opposite end of australia to bass strait i guess like uh bass strait's down south so like from victoria to tassie so torres strait's from like queensland to papua new guinea so we went up to there's a little island about a kilometer off 
PNG. We weren't actually allowed to start in PNG. Like border security wouldn't let us do it. And um, so we had to start in um, on Saibai Island, which it's only like you can see PNG from from the shoreline there. And um, there's a sand spit out in the middle, so we paddled out to there and started from there. So that's half PNG, half Torres Strait. So Torres Strait's still part of Australia, so where PNG obviously isn't. Yeah, so we went up there and, um, yeah, we made two wooden canoes. <laughs> I wouldn't say very well, but we had two <laughs> wooden canoes. Yeah, we, we yeah, paddled back across the strait. Yeah, everything that you could expect to go wrong probably did through that trip. <laughs> Everyone got some form of sickness or we accidentally got one of the cameramen bitten by a snake. So it was, yeah, it all happened. It was pretty fun though. So it was, um, yeah, another bad idea of mine. I was hoping to paddle it with Jack and Brad and um, Lockie Lansdowne. But, um, yeah, Jack and that at the time were like, couldn't make it and Gawley couldn't and they'd sort of, the production crew had sort of come up with the canoe concept and, like, would you do that? <laughs> so I'll do whatever you want. I just want to go on an adventure. So, <laughs> yeah. So, there was, I took one of my mates, Cormac Evans, from down here, good mate of mine. He's an Aboriginal bloke from Geelong. So, I wanted him to come because he's like kind of for him. There's a cultural side of it too that I thought would be really cool. And in, and he was a good, uh, I wanted someone I guess I could trust on my side. Like, when you, <laughs> yeah. these things, you tend to turn on each other a little. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was like I had him, and then the other two guys I didn't know at all. So mm. Bo was a loose, <laughs> pretty loose cat, but uh, but he was a classic, like full wildlife guy and catching snakes and crocodiles and everything you could think of. And then Eddie was a local guy from up there that um, yeah, we butted heads a bit, but uh, we got through it. So so did you have this idea also festering in your mind since you were a teenager <laughs> to do this? No, well, that was. It was one, I guess after we did Bass Trade, I just started looking for everything that we could paddle across pretty much. I was like, I want to do that one, I want to do this. So that was one that was definitely always there. And again, like I said, John Jacoby um, from down here and I don't know if Chris Porter, maybe one of the other guys, another guy from Anglesey. They rode from like Cairns to Cape York, then kayaked across Torres Strait and then ran from like Dabai or somewhere into like Port Moresby. Like, <laughs> crazy. So again, it was one of those ones was like, oh, well, John's done that. Like, we could paddle it and <laughs> we'll, we'll get up there. But it's again, it's one of those ones where this island's kind of strewn the whole way. So you can, you can sort of jump from one island to the other because it's like i don't know you could look at paddling from australia to new zealand but at some point there's no island so you're going to have to get on your boat sleep or eat or anything like that and then people are going to kind of go well how do you know we didn't chug 100 k's towards new zealand then jump in again and go it's one of those sort of one it's a bit if you can make land so any of these old sunken land bridges like this is where everyone got into australia from like they walk through like Indonesia through PNG, like down through the Torres Strait land bridge into Australia. So it's um it's it's an amazing area, even more chaotic I think than Bass Strait mm. in the end. Being like it's only about 120 kilometres wide. It'll be high tide on one side and low tide on the other. So every wow. six hours it's just the sand moves. So no one no one knew what the tides were actually doing. Like it was just chaos. <laughs> Catching all our food. So like. Oh, if half the footage didn't get used, like we, yeah, multiple things went wrong. It was so <laughs> fun, like it was a proper wild trip up there. So yeah, and there's a great documentary that I'll put links to in the show notes, and the folks listening you need to check it out. I mean, it's 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 entertaining, it's cool, it's gnarly. You put yourself, I put myself in the shoes, of you guys. It's going, dude. That's a pretty badass expedition to set out on. But I mean, t- give us a, sort of like the summary. I mean, it's like basically 15-ish days and yeah. you had your own canoe and you paddled and you forage and hunt for food and you'd camp. I mean, it was raw. I mean, it re- really was. Yeah, there was like, like we obviously, we had our support boats in that there too in case things went really well because there is big salt water like on Saibai, we're in the Mangroves one Arvo and there's like three resident crocs that are apparently all over 25 foot long. So, <laughs> and like, they're not like sharks. Like, they're, <laughs> I don't know. They, I was creeped out by the croc thing a bit. But we were sleeping on beaches and there's like crocodile slides up where they'll come up the beach and lay there and slide <laughs> back in. And But um, apparently they're a real ambush predator. So, like, as long as we didn't stay in the one spot for more than like two days, 
because they'll figure out your movement and then you go down and wash your hands in the water every night before you go to bed like second third night they'll bang they'll (laughs) so um but we were like oh spear and fish like with traditional spears and i had a few like a just not bat like but five or six foot like reef sharks come in you just sort of fend them off with the spear and oh wow least of your worries i was always looking into the mangroves like freaking a croc was going to charge out or something but like heaps of like scrub pythons and stonefish and stuff like that up there so the snakes were pretty cool we kept finding them on islands playing with them and then <laughs> until a bit right yeah one of the cameramen we took one to the support boat we were playing jokes on everyone and <laughs> he flinched and it just latched onto his arms so. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty loose but but uh yeah everyone got sick which was probably the gnarly thing like Bo, one of the boys got staffed before we left mick who was like our director he ended up in hospital for a week when we got home with a staff <laughs> infection like I had like an abscess on my leg and bursitis in my knee and Paul Mac had two abscesses in his gut. So it was like everyone just got dealt with. So it was the poor doctor that we had on the trip that was meant to just be there in case something happened was yeah. the whole time. He was meant to get fish and he was just dealing with constant problems <laughs> uh, but you guys got through it and you know just like the bass straight run if you made it so i'm also curious like the torres Strait, like the significance of that for this trip I and mean, what what was the, the main reason you picked that location like i said being like bass Strait was a land bridge that sunk it like with rising sea levels is now yeah. all water and that was like so it seemed to us like the next best thing was another land bridge that connects to australia and then um yeah i'll just keep looking for land land yeah. bridges there anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> now as we mentioned already you mentioned your kids hoping to get them paddling with you m2o would be insane you know and you're a big family man looking on instagram you're always doing stuff with with your groms and everything and that can kind of tend to minimize the time available for epic quests like this you know so uh are you looking at anything else it's got a big and gnarly right now oh, i'm looking at we're looking at a few things <laughs> yeah <laughs> like gaming <laughs> But yeah, definitely. Um, I think the adventure side's a bit easier to do than the than like Molokai nowadays for me. You don't have to try like you, you train sort of every day, but you're not not to the same extent I was for like trying to win Molokai sort of thing. So I definitely um, keep looking for adventures, and I want my kids to like. I want it to kind of be the norm for them to want to go out and do crazy adventures. I think we we lose a lot of that in society nowadays where it's like like we got with Bass Strait told like you can't do it. Obviously you can. So I just sort of with the way of phones and all that sort of stuff, as much as we hate them, they're here now. Like yep. they're, they're not going anywhere. But trying to get like I really want my kids to – get out there and, and adventure and, and do that sort of thing because I think it seems to happen less and less now. So I kind of want to try to, yeah, work towards getting them doing it and I want to keep doing it. And uh, like I'm working on like a YouTube thing with a mate. You can kind of do these adventures and sort of document and show people that like it is doable. Like when we did Bastrate, we purposely did it on the commanders because we wanted everyone to be able to go out and buy the board. Like yeah, surely we call. done something that like no one could get, but we wanted it to be a board that anyone could go and buy and make their own adventure with it. So that's definitely been a focus for me in the last sort of year or so is sort of working on ideas and stuff where kind of makes everyone sort of think outside the box and go like we get two days off a week so most of it yeah yeah do something cool with that time and i love involving the kids too it's a big focus for you know my family is is getting them in the water you know and uh it does it's like kind of a two for one there's like it's so neat to see them be stoked to be challenged too it's not easy you know diving or surfing or fishing or whatever it is with your kids but when they kind of keep getting it it's so neat to see that but also it's like man when they're into the same stuff you're into you get to go do that stuff way more often you know (laughs) yeah i know it's selfish. That was part of my plan. It's, <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely like the race side of it was easy when the kids were young. But I definitely you, there's the selfish side of that where you are just thinking about yourself and training all the time. Where yeah, the adventure side of it now I can drag the kids along and we can get out there and we can do stuff and and they love it. Like my daughter, like she will put her fins on and swim out anywhere. Like she doesn't care how big. It is or whatever. She just loves swimming around and she'll take her with a snorkel and she. 
comes up, she's got like sea urchins or anything. Like she loves it. Yeah. So yeah, my young fella, he just loves getting out in the bush too and just walking around and looking for animals and not just water stuff like I'm sort of looking now when we're sort of having a crack at whatever and <laughs> see what happens. So. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's cool, man. So then kind of back to kind of day to day with you in the water, you know, you're doing a little bit of foiling these days, I see. Uh, what, what's When did you start that and what are you doing with that? Oh, I started maybe a bit over a year ago. I got um, Fletcher Chenard out for Easter because mm-hmm. I work for Patagonia out here and I look after the surfboard side of it. So, yeah, I, I swindled Fletch into coming out, sort of told him how good the foil spots were. And, uh, yeah, he came out and he taught me how to foil. And I was lucky when he left, he left his foil and board for us to use. So I got into that. I, I sort of – I had – good spots where I'm out all the time and surfing just doesn't even get a look in and then other times where I'm just surfing. I think Fletch is always baffled that I still surf, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a fun way. Like I'd love to be able to do downwinders on a foil, I reckon. Uh, just the like no noise, but the speed you can go on just a swell. It's like such a trip out. It's so different to surfing. And um yeah, it's just another cool way to get out in the water and and have fun so yeah no you're right i'm slowly getting there i like you started surf foiling and trying to sup downwind foil i don't even know what sup i'm starting to learn that so i can downwind foil uh but yeah it's just the same thing like looking at those guys they're a mile offshore they're way out there and they're just kind of laughing making s turns in these open oceans it's just like and it's funny you know because i have some people look at that and go oh that looks kind of cool but it's like not a big deal i look at that i just like i lay awake at night like waiting for the day to come when i can go do that you know like it just yeah. for some reason man i'm already locked in and i haven't even really done it that much you know <laughs> oh, it's like when you, you like a good maliko run when you're on maui and like you see those bumps and you're like oh imagine i could link to that one like with a foil you can so it's just like it's yeah. crazy the doors that open and like it's it's hard when you watch kai because he just makes oh it. yeah <laughs> i try not to now <laughs> how come i can't do that but uh no it's but i think too the best thing i found with it was that being the flat out kook again it was oh, such yeah. a thing like to just be so bad at something but like you kind of you get the grasp of all of it but you can't do it but then when it clicks it's just like i don't know like that was pretty it's like being a kid again you just get that froth and it's like all you're thinking about is foiling like i was looking for shit weights because it was oh, like yeah. damn it it's pumping on <laughs> <laughs> so it is funny yeah and that's one thing too i do love like the kook aspect of just totally looking and it's almost like it's good for you to to do something not and not be good at it you know like you could grow oh i paddle and i surf and i've done it forever and but it's so nice to be able to go out and just absolutely suck at something and not care you kind of get over it like there's a little bit of like self-consciousness for me for a bit and then i'm like dude i don't even care like this is so much fun just learning and flailing around again it just felt like you said like being a kid just being a grom again and just like having a stoke for something brand new which is really hard to find when you're an adult (laughs) oh fully and that's that's for me, it was definitely just, I think everyone that starts it, like, they get so hooked. Because you, especially if you're surfing forever, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get like a few. <laughs> it's so not easy. <laughs> and I love just pushing other people into it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you'll figure it out. And just watching him just eat shit for like yeah. two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> frustration it's that's all time yeah it is it is man and then you see somebody who's got it nailed and you're just like you just like can't i just watch some of the guys here and t- there's not many people do it in santa cruz because there's kelp everywhere it's just yeah. a hard place to do it unfortunately but you know we, there's a few of us doing it and there's some spots but the guys who are really focused and ripping you just watch them and it's just like it's like poetic almost you know and i'm like a caveman getting huck you know smashing my face and these guys are just so smooth and s turning and linking and you're like oh it's just so nice to watch people like that i love it yeah it's great like it's grown like how fast it's evolving though is like that blows my mind like i we had some footage the other day that i sent to fletch and he showed the guys at cloud nine <laughs> they were like have you not killed yourself with that foil it's so old yeah. <laughs> we we're like what? what are you talking about like, it's already so far past like stuff went wrong i'm like oh my god man. maybe <laughs> like, yeah so funny like seeing the new foils like a few of the boys who got like one of my mates just got the mfc one which i'm seeing to have a go on that like apparently it's just ridiculous so it's um 
yeah, it's pretty rad to see that and just see that grow and just hopefully you don't see them in the lineup because things are bloody dangerous. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. They're super dangerous, dude. Uh, no doubt. Um, uh, for sure. So also I've been seeing uh, in the past, you've been part of the BRAG, the Big Wave Risk Assessment Group doing some stuff. So what have you been, what's, what have you been up to with those guys? Yeah. So like I said, working for Patagonia in Australia, mm-hmm. I look after all the vest training stuff over here for the PSI vest. And um, part of that, to get the Patagonia vest, you have to do level one brag. So uh-huh. lucky enough that um, last year they sent me over to go to Hawaii and do the brag course. And then me and um, Dan Ross, we got to do the um, brag instructors course the two days after it. And um, so we set up the first brag courses in Australia. We ran over um, Easter this year. And um, we, had, we had one in Torquay and then one in Ostermere in Sydney that um, Liam Wilmont put on and um, we went and helped him up there. So, yeah, we're working with those guys now to set up and run the brag courses here in in Australia for um, the upcoming 2020 season and hopefully grow it and, um, yeah, keep going from there. But just raising that, I guess, the sort of risk management sort of message and getting that out there. Like I've been um, going down the coast and surfing a few spots around here that we get where it gets pretty solid and... Mm -hmm. I had no plan. plan once it goes wrong. So I've learned a lot in the last year with those guys just um, in like preparation and and just not like where I really had that mentality of like, I'll figure it out when it goes, not like have a plan before it goes wrong. So yeah, it's been really cool learning that side of it and getting to spend time with like Uncle Brian and Pat and those guys and, and learn from that. Like they just know so much. It's, that's crazy. So it's it's definitely changed my my outlook on all of it, and especially with kids and that, like and like the padded vests and like impact suits and stuff like that that I've had and probably taken with me down the coast and been like, oh, I don't need that. It's not that big. Now, like, just wear it, you dickhead. Like yeah, totally. <laughs> so you've got to say, well, like you've got kids to go home to. So like, that's like, definitely um, it's been a really cool learning curve, and yeah, going down that route. So. Yeah, oh, that's cool, man. So then kind of day-to-day, I mean, do you have a crew where when the swell's pumping, you guys get the skis out and just basically go either tow or just go find the big stuff down there? Well, I always paddle because I should never afford a jet ski. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I kind of feel I got back into the paddle thing before it was the thing to do, just out of the fact that I had, didn't yeah. have the money to buy a jet ski. <laughs> but like my, I've, I've worked in surfboards for years, so... My other tactic was if I had all the gear, then the guys with the jet skis will have to ring me. To yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had, like, a group of mates. Like, again, like, the last couple of years just with the kids, I've, I've kind of struggled to get the time that I've wanted to go down the coast and, and chase, like, any of the biggest swells. But, um, like, yeah, we had sort of a little group that I'd, we'd sort of always chase whatever swell we could. And then um, mainly I don't really – like have the funds to chase them around the world or anything but uh but, so it's it's just here but um yeah it's definitely something now where we're putting together more like anyone that's got a ski that if, if like i'm happy to run water safety if i have to and just sit on the ski i think it's um we've got some pretty good waves like some pretty good big perfect point sort of thing that'll hold like massive swells so where in the past we just paddle it but there was like i said we had no yeah. and like we didn't we didn't have a ski we didn't have anyone like so like you sort of watched out for each other but half the time too if your mate got flogged you were kind of just laughing <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah i've definitely it's it's something now that i'd like to down the track and and hopefully doing the brag stuff and all that but be able to get a ski and and yeah. actually just have a safety because you definitely do like the surfing gets so much better when when you know, do know you've got a ski in the lineup even if there's one there that occasionally when we'll, we'll be surfing there'll be like some boys that may have towed or whatever and they'll just sit in the channel and yeah you definitely take them ones that you probably shouldn't when you know you got a ski to yeah if, if need be so yeah solid <laughs> solid solid man so how's that growing then i mean how often do you guys have the brag training in out there that you're setting up is it like every once a year every six months like it seems yeah, like it's growing it's once a year at the moment so this year like i said we had talkie and one in awesome in sydney mm-hmm. or just below sydney like wollongong kind of area uh and this year we're planning on having three at this point hopefully like 
Torquay, Sydney, Gold Coast, and then hopefully from there it can grow. And, and that's sort of the two. Like we were lucky we had Brian and Pat come out this year um, and Greg Long and, and um, hopefully – we can kind of keep that going and like we've got Rossi and that there as well and then with the Gold Coast one you've got the guys like Matthews and um, like Ryan Hipwood all those guys up there that all done it in Hawaii and um, hopefully we can get get those guys involved because they're they're all pushing that same message now like it's pretty cool to see like it's as much as it is still a one of, it's a bit of a cowboyish thing it's like everyone's getting a bit smarter and and it and it really helps and especially like the WA boys it'd be good to get one over there because they're um they're going pretty ham on that right so yeah too because they're gnarly <laughs> they can have that <laughs> <laughs> dude i know I'm pretty happy with my like my two foot, three foot wind slop on the foil, man. <laughs> you know that's that's perfectly cool with me. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, they're going mad down there. There's this young guy, a bodyboarder, Shane Ackerman, that's just he's just going nuts. He's like paddling it, like sitting in like the scariest spot you could think and just trying to kick into these things. So, um, but that, those guys all supported the Sydney one and came, so they're all like. It looks cowboyish, but they're still they're they're probably leading leading the charge down there. Those guys like they're they're really onto it and emergency services and all that sort of stuff. So it's cool to see that grow and hopefully yeah I can stay part of it for years to come. Yeah, that's really cool, man. And a little while back, you did a fundraiser. I was looking at a paddle fundraiser for Aboriginal Health. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, yeah. man. You know what was that? You know, I, I love the fifty dollars tattoos to help raise funds too. That, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's a local like, mate of mine. Nugget did that, but um, yeah, Cormac, who I took on the Torres Strait trip, he was actually organized. He'd reached out to me about helping him get into prone paddling to do. Um, the paddle for Indigenous Men's Health. I was like, for sure, like, what do you need? Like, I've got boards, you can use mine. And then we got him a board and then um, obviously the Torres Strait trip came up and I was like, mate, do you want to come on this one as well? Like, it'd be kind of cool and then go into, um, go into yours. So, um, yeah, we did the first day of that paddle. It was howling like kind of pretty gnarly conditions and um, we, Cormac probably hadn't paddled that far ever before. <laughs> we paddled about 40Ks I think that day and um, right at the last bit, like we came in at Torquay and had something to eat which was kind of halfway and he got clipped. Like it was solid, like there was waves and he got clipped and he was on a 14 bark. So like you know how yeah. <laughs> like they don't surf real good. So he got clipped and they like had to swim in. Like it was a fair swim in. And <laughs> he's like, man. Well, like later on when we started paddling again, he was like, he'd hit the wall and I was like, come on, mate, we just got to get across to here. Like every K we don't do today, he just gets added on to like tomorrow or the last day. So we were kind of pushing. He's like, if I lose my board again, no, I don't. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> um, just as we were getting to the finish, we were sort of in a little gutter and I had a, one of the Groms I coached was paddling with me and he's like, I think he's going to get hit. And I was like, nah, no, nah, he's fine. Like we're in pain. Sure enough, he got sucked over the falls and like, oh, shoulder out and like, which we didn't realize how bad it was. And then the next day we started and um, he couldn't get his arm out of the water. So oh. we've, we've still got to finish that one off. It's um, it's it's still, yeah, still there for us to, to finish off. Because <laughs> I was trying to drag him through. I was thinking of everything. I'm like, can you paddle an outrigger? Can you paddle a ski? Like, what can we do this on? <laughs> get it try. done. But yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that one. I'm I'm pretty keen to finish that one off. So that was the whole Watherong sort of border trail, which is like clan from where I'm from. Like the land where I live is is well the wrong land, so yeah, we're uh, it'd be cool to get back out there and, and nice. do that. Yeah, solid man. I love the paddle events for good, you know, fundraising, and I've had a lot of discussions on the podcast, and I we do like a a twenty four hour paddle relay for cancer here, um, the twenty four monster and sea. It's just fun, man. You know, it's like paddling is usually if you're not competing, it's you come to kind of train, kind of selfish because you disappear in the ocean for a couple hours, but it's pretty rad when you actually. It helps me just kind of keep going through the long slog when you know that you're doing something for somebody else, you know, from it. You know, it's cool. Yeah, that's um. I've been looking, I wanted to do like, because Duke always posts up that 24-hour one. Yeah. We wanted to do some here. It's hard. We're all so spread out. Like, yep. um, I know with Jackson English and that, we spoke about it the other year. But like, oh, I'm in Victoria, Jackson's in New South, Lockie's in like Noosa. It's, we're sort of so spread out. But I'd love to get something like that going here. It'd be yeah. So, I think you get a lot of 
Like, um, we've got, um, yeah, we're sort of, there's a lot of guys, like back when I was training for Molokai and that, I was like the only guy paddle mm-hmm. prone here. So I was like, really? when it was ranked, like I'd be the only guy paddling up and down the coast, like towering on shore and freezing cold. And, oh. and um, but it's cool now. There's like, there's kind of a little group. They'd be like all up. If everyone was paddling, there might be like 20 guys on prone boards now. So They've been a bit easy to get now, like surf tech bringing them in and stuff like yeah. that. It's starting to grow and it's pretty cool. Like, um, and again, it's kind of a cool little group that I want it to keep getting bigger. And then where we can do events like that, that'd be the twenty-four hour one would be rad. So. Yeah, it's um, it's so fun. It really is. You know, uh, especially paddling at night. You know, we have a couple episodes on it, but uh, it's just you don't paddle at night, man. When do you ever go paddling at night? And, you know, you, you paddle the same stretch of water all the time, and you know, it like the back of your hand. But at night, dude, it's a different world completely, you know, and it's just cool. 2014, I, we did a lot of our paddlebacks at like as the sun set. So we were paddling back in the dark and it was so much fun. That's I cool. loved it. Because the good thing was you'd kind of, there was enough light at the start that you'd figure out what the bumps were doing and then it'd be dark and you'd just have oh, to man. just go on feel. So it was, we did a heap one. Yeah, I think it was the 2014 season where we, yeah, if we didn't paddle in the morning, we paddled at night and it was guaranteed like the sun had already set every time yeah. we hit that was so much fun i i really liked it so like yeah doing paddling through the middle of the night would be epic i reckon yeah yeah it's funny because like paddling is paddling and sometimes it's fun sometimes it's just like work almost you know <laughs> and so it's like music or talking or singing to yourself or running bumps but then it's just something entertaining that's different <laughs> while you're paddling you know the night thing you know but uh yeah man it's cool right the dark on a paddleboard you feel like you got a billion miles an hour and it's just the same way because you can't see it (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) well zeb man i appreciate you taking time and this has been tons of fun uh hearing about all this cool stuff you're doing man so again dude keep it up man it's fun and i'm gonna put all the a bunch of links the documentaries the torres Strait, the bass Strait, and uh for folks listening also there's a lot of good interviews with you and so a lot more informational post man but again thank you so much for today it's been great yeah nah thanks for having me it was awesome yeah for sure man well cool we'll uh we'll stay in touch and uh hopefully i'll see you on north shore again we'll get another paddle into our little secret beach there one day <laughs> good i don't remember where it was but that was yeah. Up somewhere <laughs> yeah i don't even know <laughs> all right mate thank you so much all right thank you all right cheers all right everybody thanks so much for listening uh to another podcast episode can't do it without you and uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share about their ocean life please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, Email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.